Disclaimer. South Park is the property of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. All opinions voiced are our own and not theirs. The following program contains educational course language and due to its hilariously inappropriate content should not be listened to by anyone. And welcome to episode 20. My name is Amanda. And I'm Sophie. We've already tackled some hot topics, and we're excited to bring you more. This South Park podcast is nothing like you've heard, as it dives into the complex social constructs and issues that South Park plays off. We hope you leave today thinking, I learned something today, and had a chuckle. Today's South Park episode is season 2, episode 8, Summer Sucks. Fun fact, this is the only episode to date in which the snow has melted in South Park. This episode touches on fireworks and coping mechanisms. Before we start, let's do a recap. We're going to read you the recap because you don't have time for that. Summer arrives and the school bell rings, but Mr. Garrison will not let anyone leave until Mr. Hat is returned to him. The instant he turns his back, everyone leaves except Pip, who has to stay for Summer's school anyway. The snow has melted and Stan, Kyle, Cartman, and Kenny go to buy fireworks for the 4th of July but soon discover that all fireworks have been banned in the state of Colorado. The ban was enacted after a kid from North Park blew his hands off with one. The only thing that was not banned was black snakes. But the boys do not buy them because they find them to be incredibly lame. Cartman leaves the guys to go to his swimming lesson, but Stan and Kyle warn him that the first graders urinate in the pool. Upon finding out about the recent fireworks ban, Jimbo and Ned decide to help the boys by smuggling in some fireworks from Mexico. Unfortunately, when crossing back into the American border and being asked questions by the Border Patrol, Jimbo forgets to reply no to the question, do you have any firearms or explosives in the vehicle? Both he and Ned are arrested for attempting to smuggle fireworks into the United States. Mayor McDaniels has already heard about the firework ban and tries to come up with a way to make the 4th of July celebrations worthwhile. She gets people to come up with something and they soon realize that even though black snakes are still legal because of their harmlessness, there was no law stating how big a black snake could be. They informed the mayor that their idea was to make the world's biggest black snake. It will be put in a huge dish surrounded by flamethrowers. At the celebration, the snake is lit up. It begins to grow out of control and starts destroying the town. Meanwhile, Mr. Garrison has gone to psychiatrist Dr. Katz, who explains to him that his puppet, Mr. Hatz, is what he uses to express his repressed homosexual feelings. The giant snake smashes through the window and kills Dr. Katz. At Asana, Brett Favre meets Mr. Hat. Mr. Hat moves his eyes, proving he is possibly sentient. The boys call Chef about the problem with the snake, but he is on holidays and tells them to fudge themselves. Jimbo and Ned arrive with the fireworks. As the fireworks are set off, they impale the snake, destroying it and causing it to rain black ash over the town. At the swimming pool, Cartman finally swims in the deep end, but as the pool reopens, the first graders jump in and urinate, turning the entire pool yellow. Instead of the snow, the boys use the ash from the snake to play with, as does everyone else. Mr. Garrison walks by and introduces the replacement of Mr. Hat, Mr. Twig. Chef arrives back and sees everyone is covered in black soot from the ash and assumes they're dressing up in blackface. He tells them to form a line so he can whoop their asses. <laughs> Let's talk fireworks. Amanda, do you have a favorite firework? Mm, anything that like goes up and makes a shape. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like those ones at Disney World that like Mickey Mouse ears or like yeah. the hearts and stuff. Yeah. No, those are super cool. <laughs> so this is where I get on a bit of a tangent. My favorite is the Catherine wheels. So it's the one where you nail it to a fence and it like spins in a circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you guys call them here. I don't even know if we have those here, if I'm being completely honest with you. I feel like the last time we bought fireworks, I asked for them. And of course, when I say Catherine wheel, it's quite British. Yeah. So people were like, what the heck is that? So I was like, you put it on the fence and it spins. And I think we found one, but it really just wasn't, wasn't the you same. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when researching this episode, I thought, why is it called a Catherine wheel? And now I regret knowing this information. So the firework is named after St. Catherine of Alexandria, who is a Christian saint and virgin. Long story short, she stood up for herself, pissed off an emperor, and was imprisoned. She was condemned to death by a spiked breaking wheel. Do you know what a breaking wheel is? Or to be, quote, broken on the wheel? Person is taken to a public stage, and they're tied down to the floor. The giant wooden wheel is then dropped on the shin bones, and then they work their way up. So they're breaking every single one of your bones. Basically, like, the idea is just to, like, mutilate you. It's not to kill you. But sometimes after the torture, the executioner can decapitate you or garrote, which I figured out is strangling a person. Most of the time, what would happen is all your limbs would be broken and they would tie you to the wheel and erect you up onto a mast, kind of, like, stand you up on a mast, like, in a sense, crucifying you and then just leave you for dead. Anyways... So Catherine was condemned to death on this spiked breaking wheel, but at her touch, it shattered. And it was thought that if a person fell from the wheel still alive or the execution failed in some other way, it was interpreted as God's intervention. However, the emperor ordered her to be beheaded, and Catherine herself ordered the execution to commence, and a milk-like substance rather than blood flowed from her neck. So, fun fact, I guess. Anyway, after that huge derail about my maybe not so much favorite firework anymore, Let's chat about where fireworks came from. Many historians believe that fireworks originally were developed in the 2nd century BC in ancient Luyang, China. It is believed that the first natural firecracker were bamboo stalks that when thrown in a fire would explode with a bang because of the overheating of the hollow air pockets in the bamboo. The Chinese believe these natural firecrackers would ward off evil spirits. Sometime during the period 600 to 900 AD, legend has it that a Chinese alchemist mixed potassium nitrate, sulfur, and charcoal to produce a black flaky powder, the first gunpowder. This powder was poured into hollowed out bamboo sticks and later stiff paper tubes, forming the first man-made fireworks. Fireworks made their way to Europe in the 13th century, and by the 15th century, they were widely used for religious festivals and public entertainment. The Italians were the first Europeans to manufacture fireworks, and European rulers were especially fond of the use of fireworks to enchant their subjects and illuminate their castles on important occasions. Early U.S. settlers brought their love of fireworks with them to the New World, and fireworks were part of the very first Independence Day. After all, John Adams did say he hoped the anniversary of independence would be marked for years to come by guns and bonfires and illuminations. Because the first July 4th fireworks display happened in the middle of the Revolutionary War, some historians believe they were supposed to be a morale booster. American spirits of celebration continued to grow and in the late 18th century, politicians used displays to attract crowds to their speeches. In this episode, firecrackers are illegal because a kid blew his hands off, which has been a Colorado state law since 1991. Reminds me of a celebration we have in England called Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night. 
Guy Fawkes Night originates from the gunpowder plot of 1605, a failed conspiracy by a group of provincial English Catholics to assassinate the Protestant King James I of England and VI of Scotland, he was the king of both England and Scotland at the time, and replace him with a Catholic head of state. In the immediate aftermath of the November 5th arrest of Guy Fawkes, caught guarding a cache of explosives placed beneath the House of Lords, James Council allowed the public to celebrate the king's survival with bonfires, so long as they were, quote, without any danger or disorder, end quote. This made 1605 the first year the plot's failure was celebrated. When Guy Fawkes was caught, he was hung, drawn, and quartered, and thrown on a fire. To celebrate this, people in Britain would create effigies of Guy Fawkes and burn them and set off fireworks. Honestly, I tell a lot of people about Guy Fawkes Night, and they usually give me the same look, like, you do what? <laughs> For what reason? Why? But remember, remember the 5th of November. Exactly, right? It got really popular with the V for Vendetta movie. Uh, v for Vendetta comic book, actually. In retrospect, November 5th is my grandma's birthday. So watching fireworks with her every year was just an added benefit. The train that is my topic has gotten so derailed in this episode. Anyways, since moving to Canada, people have tried to stop bonfire night because of the many injuries people are getting when playing with fireworks. An article from heart.co.uk written in 2019 said, quote, almost 2,000 people end up in A&E last year due to firework injuries, end quote. Since 2004, it has been an offense for anyone under the age of 18 to be in possession of a firework in the UK. To avoid unnecessary firework injuries, people are encouraged to go to events instead of holding them in their backyards. But the mounting cost of public liability insurance has also deterred some organizers of medium-sized events from holding a display and some councils are growing concerned about the environmental impact of fireworks. An article from The Guardian in 2020 said, quote, with organized firework displays banned because of COVID restrictions, people marked Guy Fawkes night in their own gardens. The clear still night on November 5th was ideal for being outside, but it was bad for air pollution. Smoke was slow to clear and in many places it lingered until the following morning. Particle pollution across the Midlands reached the max UK index value of 10. London and cities in Yorkshire and across eastern England recorded pollution at index value of 9, a point where vulnerable people may experience breathing problems. Pollution increased over most of England and South Wales." End quote. Now if you want to learn more about fireworks, support a Canadian business called GFA Pyro, which is Group Felix Ampelman, a Montreal-based pyrotechnic company. They had a reality television series in 2012 to 2013 called Pyros that followed them as they traveled to Canada, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Congo, France, Germany, and the United States to attempt to execute large firework displays. And the next time you light fireworks, just be careful. All right, as demonstrated in this episode, Mr. Garrison has his coping mechanism of Mr. Hat. And as we can see, a lot of people experience some extreme stress when those coping mechanisms are taken away. But examining it with a little bit more of a psychological lens, what are coping mechanisms? So significant life events, whether positive or negative, can cause psychological stress to people. Difficult events such as divorce, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, COVID-19 can cause most people to feel grief or distress. But even events that are considered positive by many, such as getting married, having a child, and buying a home, can also lead to significant amounts of stress. To adjust to this stress, people may utilize some combination of behavior, thought, or emotion, depending on the individual and their situation. 
So basically, people use coping mechanisms to manage stress or to cope with anger, loneliness, anxiety, or depression. So it's just something that each of us does to help get through the day as best we can. So how are coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms different? So the terms may seem confusing because some people think they're talking about the same thing, but even though they do have their similarities, they are in fact quite different. Defense mechanisms mostly occur on an unconscious level. So this basically means that people are generally unaware of what they're doing when it's happening. So it's just something that your brain does without your knowledge. One's use of coping mechanisms, on the other hand, is typically conscious and purposeful. So sometimes an unconscious thing is your body will just take a deep breath and it does that for you. But other times you have to force your body to take that deep breath. So that's just an example of the difference between defense mechanisms and coping mechanisms. So coping styles and mechanisms. Coping styles can be problem focused, also called instrumental or emotional focused. So problem focused coping strategies are typically associated with methods of dealing with the problem in order to reduce the stress. So tackling the problem head first and managing it so that you don't have to worry about it anymore. This is not my style. <laughs> the other style, emotional focus mechanisms, can help people handle how they feel during moments of distress that result from the problem. So looking at your emotions and trying to manage those rather than trying to get to the center of the problem. Further coping mechanisms can be broadly categorized as active or avoidant. So active coping mechanisms usually involve an awareness of the stressors and conscious attempts to reduce the stress. Avoidant coping mechanisms, on the other hand, are characterized by ignoring or otherwise avoiding the problem. AKA when I was in university and had 15 page papers to write. Oh, you best believe avoidance was used. <laughs> so some coping methods, though they work for a time, are not effective for the long period, such as ignoring your 15 page paper. Not gonna help you in the long term. <laughs> These ineffective coping mechanisms can often be counterproductive or have unintended negative consequences on an individual. So these are also known as maladaptive coping. Adaptive coping mechanisms are those generally considered to be healthy and effective ways of managing stressful situations. So different types of coping mechanisms. Among the more commonly used adaptive coping mechanisms are support. So talking about stressful events with a supportive person can be an effective way to manage the stress. Seeking support from others instead of self-isolating and internalizing can significantly reduce negative impacts of stress or from difficult situations. So it always helps to talk to someone. It doesn't have to be a licensed professional or a counselor. It can even just be a friend or a family member that cares about you and is willing to listen. Relaxation. Any number of relaxation activities can work for people, whether that be practicing meditation, listening to music, doing yoga, other calming techniques, sitting in nature, whatever works best for that person. Problem solving. Again, this coping mechanism involves identifying the problem that's causing stress and putting action into potential solutions to manage the problem. Humor. <laughs> All of my friends would tell you that humor is also my coping mechanism, but I'm not very good at it. So humor, making light of stressful situations may help people maintain perspective and prevent the situation from becoming overwhelming. So it just helps manage it a little bit when you take it a little bit less seriously. It's just like a dark humor. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you take it what should be taken seriously less seriously, it makes it okay. <laughs> Physical activity. Exercise can serve as natural and healthy form of stress relief. So running, swimming, walking, dancing, sports teams, anything that gets your body moving can help people with stress and after effects of a traumatic event. 
I hate to say it, but I will admit that that works. When you're stressed and you go to the gym for an hour and you just work your body and then you leave, you feel significantly better. Or at least tired enough to go to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) So now that we've talked about some of the positive coping mechanisms, let's talk about some of the maladaptive coping mechanisms, aka the ones that can have harmful consequences. So an example of this is escaping. So to cope simply by withdrawing from friends or becoming socially isolated. People can sometimes find themselves more in solitary activities, such as watching television, reading, or spending time online. I feel personally attacked, but thank you. (laughs) There's also unhealthy self-soothing. So some self-soothing behaviors are quite healthy when done in moderation, but for some individuals, it can turn into unhealthy habits that eventually could lead to substance use disorder in some people. Or it could lead to self-soothing habits such as overeating, binge drinking, or excessive use of internet and video games. There's also numbing. Some self-soothing behaviors also become numbing behaviors. So when a person engages in numbing, they often become unaware of what they're doing and seek out activities that help them drown out their stress. So this could be similar to unhealthy self-soothing as eating junk food, excessive alcohol use, or using drugs. And then there's also compulsions or risk-taking. Stress can cause people to seek an adrenaline rush through compulsive or risk-taking behaviors, such as gambling, unsafe sex, experimenting with drugs, crime, or unsafe driving. It can give the person something else to focus on other than their problems, even if just for that moment. Just like Twilight. In New Moon. Yes. I guess Twilight's coming back right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Never felt cooler. (laughs) I liked it when it was uncool. (laughs) And then, of course, there's also self-harm. So people engaging in physically harmful activities against themselves in order to deal with their emotional stress. So my advice for learning more is to observe your own behavior and identify some of your own possible coping mechanisms. See if they are maladaptive or adaptive and if they're working for you, or if you need to maybe make some changes. But never be afraid to reach out for help to make those changes. Now is the part of the episode where we talk about our favorite part of the episode. So Amanda, what was your favorite part? How did Kenny die? Well, this episode actually featured two deaths. So in the flashback, of course, we got to see baby Kenny holding explosives and blowing himself to pieces. We still got the classic you bastards, so I'm happy about that. (laughs) But then Kenny was also accidentally shot by a soldier later in the episode, so. But if I do have to pick, I would go with the baby Kenny dying first. (laughs) The bastards. (laughs) And Sophie, what was your favorite part? Oh, my favorite part is when Jimbo and Ned are going across the border. And Jimbo's like, okay, Ned, I'm going to do all the talking. And then, of course, he goes, heh heh, because... Obviously, Ned has his voice box, right? And then, of course, they're like, do you have any uh, firearms or explosives in the car? And he goes, yes. He goes, I mean, no. (laughs) And they keep going over again and again. And it's like, Ned's like, okay, do we have any firearms in the vehicle? Yes. No! (laughs) And it just reminds me of going to, yeah, anytime you go across the border, you go on an airplane, and they're just asking you, like, general questions, and you're just panicking. I remember when me and you went to Seattle that one time, the border patrol person asked me if I had any food and I kind of panicked because like I had some like granola bars and stuff but I mean like I was like am I not allowed to bring food into the United States I don't know and I was like yeah you know I just have some unopened granola bars just in case if you know 
I get hungry or, you know, blood sugar goes down or something. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, okay, sounds good. And I remember, yeah, we met up after. And I was like, did they ask you the food? And you were like, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> it depends. Uh, when I was in high school, I almost tried to bring a tuna sandwich and an apple into Cuba. And mm-hmm. oh, oh, no, mm-hmm. can't do that. You cannot. I found out. <laughs> Is that because it's fish? Yeah, fish yeah. and fruit. They don't want. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, they got it taken away right there. I'm like, oh, yeah, here you go. You're like, sorry. <laughs> or it's like when you buy a bottle of water before yes. going on a plane and you open it and then they're like, you can't take it on the plane. You're like, no. Although the Seattle airport had that convenience station where we would just dump it out. So that was nice. That was nice. Yeah. Because then at least you could like fill it Keep up later. Keep your bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, that was my favorite part. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will be putting out episodes weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Two Female Prime Ministers. Reach out to us and let us know what you liked, how we can improve, and share us with your friends. If you really liked us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us. We hope after listening to our show today, you thought, you know, I learned something today. Bye! Bye.